worked for LA Signal for 20 years. I, I drove a CJ7 to work back every day, 42 miles one day. And I used to go up and literally find the, the citrus groves to drive through because the temperatures would drop 15 to 20 degrees while I drove through those in the summertime. And now you can't find them. We're in a turning point right now in this country, in this state, especially that if we don't start making better decisions on building and uh, understanding what we're going to be doing with the water, that it's not going to get pretty. If you hear something, you know, say something then to the wildlife manager. You like you heard gunshots at a certain location one night while you're in camp, I'll let them know where it was at. You don't have to literally tell them your name and none of that stuff if you don't want to, but at least they can go check out the situation and you can cut down on some of that stuff. But people are just selfish as all hell. I mean, they, somebody was in my spot. It's not your spot. Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's spot before your spot, you know? So I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of annoying that some people are so selfish with what we love to do, but let them be selfish, I guess. <laughs> Everybody has an opportunity to go out and clear out some of the predators we have. If you're out there looking around, having a good time on the weekends, and you should be packing a 223 or a 22 250. And if you see coyotes, I'm not saying we should kill them all, but we need to clean them out a little bit. Do your part as that conservation, that's, as hunters, that's what you're supposed to do. If you have a hunting license, you have great opportunities to be out there hunting year round. Welcome to Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt, and if you look at their Insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the Insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is is their mapping software, and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus on, with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry-leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy-to-read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it. But we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a Insider or a Explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howlful Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Howlful Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your 
portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Powerful Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it and uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us and um, it's a great way to support Halifa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're going to talk to a good friend of mine, Terry Herndon. And uh, Terry is, um, I don't know, are you president? CEO? I don't know yeah. what to call you. <laughs> they call me a CEO, but I don't like titles. I'm just a guy that's <laughs> out there. Uh, of Arizona Mule Deer Organization. So, Terry, you've been on before. It's been a while. What? Uh, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself and uh, and then tell us about uh, Amdo. Well, uh, personally, I'm, I'm born raised here in Arizona, 63 years now. I know that's hard to believe in my childish good looks, but right, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, Sexy uh, you. Know, you. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've I've been raised and hunting uh, throughout my life. Uh, in my younger years, when I was about thirty years old, I realized that things had to change a little bit so we can keep our hunting heritage alive, and started getting a little more involved with things, and uh, ran a website called Arizona Outdoorsman, which was very popular uh, twenty years ago before the. You know, all the websites come along, Facebook came along, all that thing. But mm-hmm. we uh, we just worked through that. I now live out in New River, Arizona. I've got uh, two daughters and four grandkids and a uh, beautiful wife, Tammy. And uh, we do a lot just to try to help out with wildlife and also keeping kids um, involved in the outdoors. And actually did nine youth camps last year. So it's a big thing for us to do both of those, wildlife and kids. Awesome. So, I guess let's just jump into it, man. Arizona is—I um, don't know—I don't—I don't want to say it's in dire straits, but we're, you know, struggling, struggling. Yeah. What? what yeah. Give us a little insight to what's going on and what your what your feelings are on the uh, the current situation with deer here. Well, uh, I can I can speak to mule deer more than I can anything else. Uh, mule deer are truly struggling. Uh, they seem to be the, the sissy of the Unglet family. Uh, mm-hmm. They just can't seem to adapt. They, they struggle with encroachment, which we see coming on strong in Arizona. we got everybody and their brother moving here. Every time they build a house out, these flats out in the desert and up to the, the lower desert stuff, they, they push mule deer out of their habitat. Uh, encroachment is one of the, the biggest killers we have right next to predators. I think the number one thing that's really affected us, uh, obviously, in the last... And I'm going to say 15 years because I haven't seen it gotten any better since I was, you know, 15 years ago is drought. Um, drought's killing us. I mean, these deer struggle every year just to be able to, uh, you know, grow a good set of antlers and the, and the does have a hard time, you know, uh, producing their fetuses to the point where they can actually have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run water all the time. I mean, we, 
we help the wildlife uh, game and fish guys, uh, Arizona game and fish, by checking their water catchments and giving them readings on tanks if they have an issue. And obviously, if they need water, we have five 500-gallon, uh, pretty much we call them water mules, and then another 1,000-gallon when it stays up in actually parks, Arizona, with uh, Dan Bradford. And mm-hmm. we run water all the time. But if you can't put water on the ground to grow grass and, you know, and give them feed, I mean, they're, they're truly going to be in, in bad shape. Um, some of the units, uh, wildlife managers I've spoken to, their mule deer, um, buck to doe ratio is, especially in the desert areas, 20C, 20B, um, you know, 42 and those kind of places like that, 21. The, the buck to doe ratio has just gone down so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their goal is 25 bucks per 100 does. And, uh, two of the wildlife managers I spoke to said they were below 11 per 100 does. So, yeah. And, we're, we're not doing well with the, with the mule deer situation. Um, there's a few things that happened this year that was, was good with the game and fish department. And I know with some people, it's kind of a touchy subject, but the, um, the archery mandatory, uh, reporting, uh, I think is a very, very good oh, thing. Oh yeah. That, be, that needed to happen. Oh yeah. It, it needed to happen. I remember having a, a conversation with Amber Munich 10 years ago, talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, until they actually, was able to change the way they have their IT stuff and everything. They decided to go with it. Now, New, New Mexico has done it for years. Uh, you don't report in New Mexico. You don't get to put it in again in New Mexico. Right. Unless you pay a, a fine and then you go ahead and you can be put in. But, uh, you know, the, that that's a plus. I think what we really need to look and see what's coming out of there. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks are concerned that there's going to be a lot of Young buck shot, and of course they'll close the unit down. But then there's some units that'll never close. Uh, you're going to have to get flexible in what you like to hunt. There's tons and tons of coos deer, or you want to call it the biologists do cows deer out there, mm-hmm. and a lot of those units will never shut down. So the, the hunt opportunity is still there. Other things I think has been very helpful for the mule deer herds is is actually looking at the rifle tags. And believe it or not, they actually dropped quite a few of them this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they could do more. I think they could drop a lot more. Uh, yeah. And I think they need to start. And I'm not knocking the game fish. I think they do a heck of a good job of what they have and what they do. But it seems like sometimes it's ran like a business, and it's not ran with the biology and science that they say they run it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they need to really look at the the mule deer situation and really start cutting some tags back in units. But then again, you have another issue with that, and that's uh sustainable habitat yeah. so if we're not getting any rain and we have no feed we don't you know none of that stuff happens we could cut all half the tags back from the bucks and then you have too many deer in the unit that actually the habitat can hold and that's not good either mm-hmm. so i mean it's a it's a tricky business i'm not a biologist oh, yeah. by, by any means but to you know talk to these folks out in the field yeah, you've been in and around it enough to know what, what's what though you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you do. Um, and I tell you, I've learned a lot in the last 10, 12 years. Uh, you go out there, if you get a chance, go out riding with a wildlife manager one day and just pick their brains and talk to them if you get the opportunity. And I'm telling you right now, you can learn a lot. They're, they're a very passionate group of people, uh, especially the young, young ones coming up out of the academies the last, you know, last two or three years and not knocking the older ones, but these younger ones seem to be very, very, attuned to what's going on to their units and mm-hmm. it's, it's important that they know that but well, anyhow. it's like anything else the science is evolving so the the, the people yeah. coming out of that are um you know are going to be more well equipped 
to, to deal with it. Um, yeah. You did you did say something, you know, you were mentioning about the drought there, and I wanted to interject, but I didn't want to cut you off. No, no problem. That is actually, believe it or not, the drought is somewhat of a product of the fact that there's so many people moving here. It's got some stuff to do with it. That's for well, sure. <laughs> well, you know, I was actually talking to a weather guy, okay, uh, a meteorologist, and he was explaining to me that there's a phenomenon that happens. I, I know you've noticed it, and I because I've definitely noticed it. You see the clouds roll in for those monsoons, and then we don't get an ounce of rain, and That's we've been getting more of the. We've been, yeah, we've been getting more of the uh, the haboobs and all that stuff. The heat pushes it out because there's so much concrete. There's so many, uh, you know, so much asphalt and concrete that it creates this big like heat bubble. Yeah, and those clouds come in. They hit that heat bubble like a bu- like a wall, and they get pushed up and over, and they and they're out. And yeah, it doesn't rain. It. it doesn't rain here, and it rains somewhere else. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what you do about that because freaking, yeah. I don't know how many hundreds of people are moving here a day, but it, it's quite a bit and they gotta be, they're going to be put somewhere. They're not building gotta, high rises. No, you got a double whammy too. Uh, when I was raised out here, there were citrus groves all over the place and, mm-hmm. uh, there was still some farm stuff. If you go out towards, uh, like Buckeye and that stuff, there used to be thousands and thousands of acres of agriculture. Right. Well, ag- agriculture, obviously, they had to irrigate. Irrigation causes water. Water is what, uh, you know, the clouds like to suck up mm-hmm. and uh, become rain. All that's gone now. Yep. I used to, I worked for LA Signal for 20 years. I, I drove a CJ7 to work back every day, 42 miles one day. And I used to go up and literally find the, the citrus groves to drive through because the temperatures would drop 15 to 20 degrees while I drove through those in the summertime mm-hmm. and now you can't find them so all that changes things you know it really does and and the fact of the matter is is when we put agriculture in the phoenix area and we put citrus growth it changed it then too right exactly so, exactly but you know there's been years where i see rain come in and, and just stomp us and you know and then there's years that it should have came in and didn't stop us and that that has a lot to do with just the way the, the drought situation is now i would be concerned I am concerned because if it doesn't rain in Phoenix, that's one thing. But if it's on the outside of Phoenix where it should be raining, that's where our biggest concern is. And right. That's where you can really notice a, a lot of the drought situation occurring. In fact, you can just take a look at uh, Lake uh, Lake Powell right now and yeah. Lake Mead and all those other lakes. They're, Very they're dire straight right now. They really are. So, but as far as mule deer goes, and, and I'm going to be, this is going to probably touch somebody in a few spots they don't like, but you know, if you were, were go back and there's there's tons of good books you can read uh, uh, wildlife in Arizona 1800s and things like that and it was all written by uh, a lot of the guys that has names on these wildlife like Coos and Miriam and those fellas and you read about the wildlife that was here back then mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised at what you'd see the one thing you didn't read about especially in the Flagstaff area and around there was elk. Mm. There was no elk there, you know, and I think it was 19, I'm, I'm going to guess here, I think it was 1908 that they brought elk into Arizona and let them go in Chevron Canyon. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have our elk today. Well, obviously, they're always talking about not bringing in uh, native species and invasive species. Well, 
I love elk as much as everybody else does. But when that happened, you know, you could actually literally see the mule deer population start to drop. And elk compete heavily with water feed. They can reach higher. They can eat more. They can drink more water. Where they naturally encourage monster mule deer used to live up in Unit 9, a place called Mulkey and things like that. There's still some big deer there, but they're just not near as many as they used to be. And it's got a lot to do with, I think, elk. And it, you can actually see what happened in Unit 7. Well, it's been probably 10 years ago that the National Forest Service came in and, and told Game and Fish that, you know, your elk are eating all of our aspen trees up here. You got to right. do something about it. So what do they do? They went in, they whacked all these elk, and the next thing you see is all the deer came back. Mm. And pretty obvious to see that. Uh, and obviously, I'm not a proponent to go out and wipe out all the elk. I think that's silly. But that's a, that's another part of, of why our mule deer is not doing well. And mm. for the desert areas, it's just got everything to do with encroachment, uh, drought, and predation. It also has a lot to do with people really side-by-sides on washes in the summertime and things like that. That, that uh, These deer are struggling as it is, and that's where they like to lay up during the summertime to keep cool. Uh, there's there's a lot of that stuff going on that's changed a lot since I was born here and actually since the 1980s mm-hmm. that has caused issues with that. And there again, I'm not telling anybody they can't go have fun, but I just don't think they realize what happens. I think there's a, there's a really good opportunity for maybe there's a game and fish department or somebody to actually have some kind of a, a class to teach people what these wildlife like to stay in the summertime and maybe that's not where you should go. And uh, you, know, you get a key, you go buy yourself a nice rig. I have one. I love riding in it. And then they, the washes are fun to ride in. They really are. But, uh, a lot of times that's not the best place to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. But, yeah, no worries. I don't know. There's lots of stuff going on. Lots of things have changed, you know. Well, you, you, <laughs> you said something that, uh, that kind of struck with me, uh, you know, is that really, most people don't think about what they're doing, what the effect is, what the cause and effect is, you know, we're, we're just, we become, I mean, as, as a, as a culture, we've always been pretty egocentric anyway, but I think it's even more so now that we're so consumed by what we're doing that we don't think about the repercussions of, of what it is that we're doing. And then, you know, and that you know, building houses or driving down washes or whatever, or throwing a piece of paper out the window, like whatever it is, it, you know, it's all those little things. They all add up. And yeah. unfortunately, I mean, the, the solve all for the whole thing is that, well, it's not a solve all, but the problem for the whole thing is there's just way too many people in the world. And we're, and we're, we've already exceeded our carrying capacity for this world. And, uh, and we keep on growing, so that's just going to cause everything else to go by the wayside. You know, they're, they're, that check and balance is no longer there. It's going to be it's going to be really tough uh, for our our kids' generation and, and my grandkids' generation. It really is. Right? One thing that also that, that I thought was very very good that Arizona Game Fish has done is the I eleven. Whenever they decided to build it, they actually went out and they uh, they called her mule deer. And they found out where the mule deer actually cross, where they uh, migrate to. Mm-hmm. Fa- fantastic idea. So when they do build I-11, they know where these crossings are going to be at, and they can actually put crossings there for the, for the mule deer. But, you know, pro- being proactive in, on the building of things, uh, it would be awesome to see, you know, the state say, hey, we're not going to build 
less than two miles from the mountains, you know, where the mountains come up, something like that. But we all know that's not going to happen. The state trust lands out there and yeah, the price of property right now is just incredibly high. And now's the time that they'd probably want to sell because the building's going so well. A lot of those, uh, those places like I have out in New River where I live, there's a beautiful spot right across from us. It's probably 10 miles in state trust land. Mm-hmm. You know, people would, would pay big, big bucks for that to run a, you know, a big old uh, development in there. And it would be an awesome place for a really cool little uh, park, but parks don't make money and they have to build schools. And these kids coming in from all over the other places and, you know, where you have young families come up, they have to have schools and that's what that stuff's for. So, but they could always do some kind of a green belt around it. So there's actually access for the wildlife to get in and out and not be trapped if they decide to build a lot of stuff there. I know there's so many things that could do, we could do better. It's a matter of, like you said, um, what's in it for me. And mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of look at what's in it for my kids and grandkids and their kids. I mean, this is, this is, we're in a turning point right now in this country, in this state, especially that if we don't start making better decisions on building and uh, understanding what we're going to be doing with the water, that uh, it's, it's not going to get pretty. I mean, it's just. Mm, I know. I mean, yeah, let, 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 let's, let's take, let's take wildlife out of this whole, this whole scenario, this whole scenario. <laughs> let's think mm-hmm. about the human race. You know, we're, yeah. we're not, you know, we're not going to be able to do this. We're not, you can't put, millions and millions of people in the desert and not expect at some point that you're going to reach a a limit that the resources can't support those people. Like it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. I, I really think that in every level of, of society, you know, well, we'll put it that way, nice and broad, that there should be some type of, conservation i don't want to say conservative because that's going to make a make it a political thing yeah. a conservation minded view on everything you're doing because mm-hmm. i mean otherwise it's too short-sighted like i'm just doing this this is going to be great for right now but <laughs> what does that mean for us in the future you know yeah it's we have to think you know in the future about a lot of stuff and you know, you go back to Teddy Roosevelt, and you know, Teddy, he uh, he liked to go out and just shoot stuff, pop their horns off, and take them with it. In fact, he said in a couple of his books that I read about him that he couldn't stand the taste of a stag while they were in the rut because it tasted so bad. And he's right, it doesn't taste good. But, um, you know, he found out after he hunted a certain area uh, for five years that he the wildlife was disappearing. And so he knew for a fact that things had to change, and he took it on himself to – you know, put it the way we are now in the North American model and things like that, that, that we live by today through Game of Fish. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he had a foresight in knowing that we had a problem. So what does he do? He, he makes national, you know, forest and things like this. And thankfully for Arizona, we're 87% public land here. So if it ever turns to where it's not 87 public land and they decide to start selling off on the national forest for one reason or the other, then we're in deep trouble because this state will be, it'll, it'll collapse with all the people coming into it. And then we will find out that wildlife has no meaning to anybody that wants to, you know, make a lot of money. So it's just, uh, we can't look at, we can't look at conservation as a, a second or third place thing in our mindset. We have to look at it like it's our first thing because I mean, every time we, 
cut down a swath of uh, trees in the desert every time we change the water flow in the desert to accommodate homes and building homes and things. Mm-hmm. You know, we change we change the natural uh, source of the way things are supposed to be, and they're getting better at it. I think I think a lot of these people are, are looking at it and trying to figure it out. I just don't know if it's going to happen quick enough, but. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things that we talk about goes right back around to wildlife and, and goes back to especially mule deer. And uh, we do our best. We, we try to get out there and put a bunch of water out there for them. We check water sources a lot. Um, the the thing we, we always say is I can put a million gallons of water out, which we don't, you know, but we put a bunch out. You can't put water on the ground to make grass grow, so at least you're giving them water because if they don't have anything to make their, their feed come around, they're still going to have real struggles and mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm not sure how you fix that I mean it's not like we can build fl- uh, food plots out there for them I mean rain dances yeah yeah you know I've been doing a lot of that <laughs> stuff the wife thought I was nuts there so she called somebody to come and get me but, <laughs> uh. but you know anything works I mean as far as I'm concerned I'm, I'm not putting anything underneath the covers I'm just gonna do whatever if it's a prayer if it's a rain dance if I gotta hire a bunch of guys to come down and do some dancing for us I'd love to try to do it but if you know, we can chuckle about it, but the bottom line is we're in dire straits if we don't start getting some rain here. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, you know, let's, let's look at it from the, from the average Joe Hunter standpoint. What are some of the things that somebody who wants to either get involved or just maybe change about the way they go about their you know, normal hunting life, I guess. Uh, what are mm-hmm. some of the things that you think a guy can be doing or a girl can be doing to, you know, help? Well, there's a few things, obviously. Uh, I'll, I'll start with this one. Everybody has an opportunity to go out and, and clear out some of the predators we have. You know, if you're out there looking around, having a good time on the weekends, and you should be packing a 223 or a 22250. And uh, if you see coyotes, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we should kill them all, but we need to clean them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do your part as that conservation. That's what, you know, as, as hunters, that's what we're supposed to do. If you have a hunting license, you have great opportunities to be out there hunting year round. Secondly, get with whatever organization uh, that you feel like you want to work with. I can, I'm going to tell you this and, and it probably really upset some of the national guys, but I personally think that uh, if you live in Arizona, you should try to, Put your money into the Arizona organizations, uh, societies, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your money stays in Arizona. I worked with another group for quite a few years, and a lot of the money went out of state into Utah, Colorado, Wyoming. And personally, if I'm sitting inside a, a fundraiser and I'm spending money, I'm kind of hoping it stays here. So try to find those type of organizations. Keep your money in Arizona. You know, we need it bad here for what we do. And then thirdly, um, a couple of them to see what they have come, you know, coming up for projects. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of fun. Uh, we actually have one coming up June. We drive up the 24th, the 25th and 26th. It's going to be up in 23 North off the young road, 109 road off the young road. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to go up there and do maintenance on about 30 catchments. We call them umbrella catchments built in the sixties. Um, oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. We were up there. Two days ago, I was up with Seth Shear, which is a wildlife manager, uh, one of the really good young ones coming up. And we checked out quite a few cakes. There's some stuff we have to do, but we're going to camp out. And if we get enough people, right now I'm looking at probably 20 people already signed up to do it, but I can always use more. So uh, we're going to have a- Let me help you out with that. Okay. Sure. Half a wildlife 
I can set that up on the calendar and I can set it up so that they can, so that people can actually register to cool. be a part of that. And if you want to do like a Zoom meeting leading up to it, like, so you can basically educate anybody who's going to be there on to what they're going to be doing or kind of like, you know, give them a run through. We can even do that too. That would be excellent. Yeah, that would be excellent. There's, there's all kinds of different things we'll do. Most of it's going to be, uh, we have to restring some fencing up, uh, keep the cattle out. It will be known to me as I learned something the other day, I was running with Seth that back in the sixties, those umbrella tanks were actually put there for wildlife by the national for or for uh, cattle for the national forest service. But, now there's all kinds of different stock tanks and whatnot up there. So these are strictly for wildlife. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're going to put some finishing up. We have to put some uh, stakes up and, you know, put some new wire on. One of them, we got to rebuild the uh, the trough on it because it's getting really flimsy. But most of it's going to be maintenance, taking off the um, – they have a double sifter on the top of the tank that the water runs into, mm-hmm. and it gets clogged up with pine needles and stuff. Right, so we'll right. take those out, you know, that kind of stuff. So if we have enough – plus it's a big family weekend, and we want the people to come up. We're going to have lunch and dinner and just have a good time, put some 3D targets out. Sounds There's a good great. chance the forest will be shut down because of fire situations, but we still have permission to be there to do these tanks. So uh, I want people to come up and have a good time and just come out and help the wildlife. It makes people feel good when they do stuff like that. And then I think once you get touched by that volunteer thing in your heart, I think you start wanting to do more of it. And then you pass it on to the kids and the kids pass it on to their kids and it's an ongoing thing. So that's where we're at with that. But we have tons of stuff like that coming up. Awesome. So, uh, you got anything, uh, anything planned for hunting season this year? Or are you still kind of taking it easy since you're well, I guess I was lucky enough to draw a muzzleloader wool tag for 6A in, in November. But, oh, wow. uh, I, t- I tell you, man, I walked up a hill the other day where I was checking out this tank, and I thought to myself, geez, man, you better get to walking. My lungs were flaming on me because of I, I had two things. I had COVID, and I also had valley fever at the same time. So oh, wow. my lungs took a beating, but uh, they're coming back as you know best they can. Nice thing about me is I never smoked, so yeah. there was a plus on that. But um, I'll, I'll put in for deer again this year. I, I actually applied for New Mexico and also Utah, but got drawn for nothing. So mm-hmm. that's just the way it goes. Um, I'll apply for deer. I'll probably put in for uh, maybe the Kaibab hunt early this year and then um, probably another hunt in 6A right after that. So if I get drawn for, for deer in 6A, I'll be able to scout for elk and hunt deer at the same time. Just something fun to do. Um, but yeah, that's about it for me right now. And then we have obviously eight youth camps this year coming up and seven of them are deer and one's a Havelina camp. So we'll talk about that. I can send that in to you when the time comes. But uh, yeah, let us know. Same, yeah, same situation, time. you know, something we can kind of put out there and anybody who's interested and in get involved. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a good time. We you know, always need mentors. Uh, we've got some really good ones, but we can always use more. Get the kids out there, show them the deer. Most important thing is to show them the deer, you know, so they get excited and then they get they get the bite and then they can go from there. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but as far as hunting goes, it's just uh, – you know, we'll just do what we can for the elk and um, maybe get a deer tag and just have a good time. I'm thankful just to be able to walk and feel breathe and stuff like that. They told me I was pretty much dead when I walked in or when I <laughs> driven to the hospital. So mm. it's a good thing to be able to, to still be here and do the things we can do to make it happen. Well, we're glad you're still around and um, uh, we appreciate all that you're doing for the deer that. here in Arizona. 
Yeah. Arizona's the state, my man. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. Absolutely. Well, man, appreciate you coming on and it was good catching up with you. Where can our listeners uh, get more involved with uh, what you got going on? There's actually, if you go to www.azmuledeer.org, there's a sign-up sheet on there for this particular uh, project coming up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good that we know how many people so I can get the right, right amount of food for everybody. And also, it, uh, we'll put a link on here pretty quick, all the youth camps or the, you know, that people can actually go to and see which ones we have and apply for those camps. And if they get drawn for it, then um, we'd be happy to have them out there and help them out the best we can. I've already gotten phone calls from two people from California, one from Nevada, asking which which uh, unit to put the kids into. And you know, I say, you know as well as I do, these youth camps, the youth hunts are sometimes twice as hard to get drawn for for as a general tag. So yeah, yeah, I always put that as a disclaimer to them. I said, apply for your youth hunts, uh, these, 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 and then uh, maybe the last thing is a general hunt that has a higher draw. As I said because it's it's tough. Um, but, um, you know, we'll do some of that. We've got water. We're running water right now in, in Unit 42. i got to run out some water probably this afternoon right behind the white tanks. It's one of the troughs is getting, or one of the catchments is getting low. Mm. And um, we, we, we're we looking for people who actually want to spend the time in their side-by-sides to go out and do the inspections and check these uh, some of the tanks in Unit 21 right now. There's, God, there's a ton of them out there. And it helps the wildlife manager so much if we go out there and report back to him on a constant basis. That means that once you say, I'm going to do it, you have to do it. So they know that you're going to do it. You're out there doing it. So they have to check those, those, all their catchments in each unit every month. Mm. So if they have 150 of them, they have to check 150 of those things every month and report back to the department. And you know, well, you know, as well as I do, yeah one or two wildlife managers depending on which unit it is um there's no way in hell they're going to be able to check waters and do everything else they're supposed to do at the same time mm-hmm. it's just impossible it's impossible right so if you want to get involved with that and you like getting out in your side by side and checking your favorite water catchments and stuff get a hold of me and we will get you in contact with the wildlife managers and then we will set it up where you actually go out every month and check them have two really really good folks out in 42 uh, roger dunkel and um Mr. Suter out there, those those guys out there, they they're like uh, clockwork. They check them every month. Wildlife manager saves about two weeks off of the time he has to actually check all his tanks out there. So it helps them a lot, and it gives them a chance to do biology and and also law enforcement that needs to be done out there. So one of the things I didn't mention when we talked about issues with, with mule deer is the poaching situation. There's tons of poaching going on right now. Mm. And uh, there, there actually was a pretty good size ring up in 20C. Don't think they've caught them all yet. They're still trying. I know that there's plenty of that stuff going on all over the state. And uh, if you hear something, you know, say something to, to the wildlife managers. If you thought you heard gunshots at a certain location one night while you're in camp, let them know where it was at. You don't have to literally tell them your name and none of that stuff if you don't want to, but at least they can go check out the situation and we can cut down on some of that stuff. Because uh, many years ago, I was told that for every legal deer shot in Arizona, you have at least 10 of them that were killed illegally. Really? I didn't so, know it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> oh it, it's terrible. And so if we can kind of help cut down a lot of that stuff, then, you know, by all means, you don't have, don't think you're a snitch. Just think you're taking care of what no, we're take care of conservation, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, so get involved with with us. Get involved with anybody else you want to get involved with, but do something. 
I mean, yeah, if you're doing something, you're part of the solution. If you're not doing anything, you're just part of the problem. So. Right. I, I'm with you, man. So I, I made a post yesterday and some guy had commented about, I had put up a bunch of food, you know, uh, pictures of mm-hmm. food that I created from uh, meals that I created from, uh, you know, animals that I harvested. Mm-hmm. And it was this long post and it was like, it basically it's like, you know, part of the, my biggest problem with hunters is that they don't eat the meat. He goes, I've known, yeah. I've known too many people. I'm, I've known too many hunters and I've met too many, seen it too many times where they just, you know, throw the meat on the side of the road or mm. leave it out there and just take the horns, take, you know, and I, it's funny cause I've never, and I, you know me, I'm well-traveled. I've been hunting for mm-hmm. a very long time. I've never seen that ever, ever. And well, uh, and he know, was like, not, me, bad as a poacher in my eyes, you know, oh, yeah. there's a law about that. So, oh, oh yeah, of course. So, I mean, my, my point of bringing it up is, you know, if you're seeing this out there, turn these people in. Oh yeah. There is wanton waste laws for a reason, you know, cause yeah. they're not doing us any freaking, you know, any service by, <laughs> by doing that. You're just feeding oh. into the anti-hunting uh, rhetoric, you know, just like get let's we don't need those people we don't need them in 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 the community right that's right that's correct i mean i was raised to hunt with my dad my dad said you shoot a sparrow you eat a sparrow and you know and he actually made me eat a couple of red wing blackbirds a couple times and i decided that they don't taste good enough to shoot anymore (laughs) but that was the way i was brought up you know if you if you kill something you've taken something's life you're going to respect them enough where you're going to eat them and that doesn't mean that you have to eat them. If you don't like the taste of javelina, you shoot a javelina. There's plenty of places out there that, you know, people can eat that javelina. And, oh, yeah. you know, deer the same way, elk's the same way. Um, but, uh, in fact, if you want to give some of your wildlife to me, we're going to have a beast feast at the Bowhunter Happening this year, third weekend in July. So okay. I'm hoping to take it and put it in the freezer and we'll cook it up when we get it up there. So nice. there's lots of places to do it. We used to come back with, uh, when I, I guided for Tony and Eli Grimmett over in New Mexico, mm-hmm. they would take two freezers with them because those guys back there and, and some of them I understood because they, you know, they got to fly back to wherever they live at and whatever, but they would give us the sign it over to us and we take them back and there was a men's shelter downtown and we take 11 or 12 antelope down there and give them away to those guys. They'd eat them for months. Mm-hmm. So, there's no reason to waste any kind of game, you know. And I'll tell you, John, I've actually eaten coyote before too. So, so have it's, I. It's nasty, but <laughs> yeah, I don't like coyote. But I've no. eaten bobcat and I've eaten lion plenty of times. Lion and bobcat's pretty good. I yeah. mean, they're kind of like a porky type meat, but uh, coyote's a little different. And uh, yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I don't expect people to, to eat coyotes if they shoot them. I, and I understand that sometimes people don't like that idea, but. Yeah, you have to understand what they do to the fawns, and, um, and especially during the birthing seasons, during antelope season and whatnot. It's just a sad deal to watch them go up and snatch a fawn out of the back end of a doe before she has it, right? Pull it out and eat it before it gets a chance to live. It's just sickening. <laughs> yeah, I've I've unfortunately witnessed it myself a couple times. Um, yeah, you know, and I, I was I just gave a predator hunting seminar with uh, Christian bow hunters, or excuse me, Christian hunters of America. Yeah. And uh, I was actually talking about that. I was like, if you know, it's something you want to do, one of the best times for you to do that as from a management standpoint is to actually go out there and thin out coyotes when 
the fawning and calving season is happening. You're absolutely correct. That's the best time to do it. I yeah. mean, every time you say one of them get eaten, you know, once they're on the ground, they have no sense. So if they just hold still, a lot of times the coyotes walk right past them. But um, and and these and now that you mentioned the Christian hunters of America, we we become pretty good partners with them, along with the National Wild Turkey Federation and Quail Forever, and there's quite a few other organizations that that we're all kind of getting together with because it, you know, the more you have, the easier it is to take care of stuff and. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys, especially Mike and Norsky, and those guys and Chet over there, the yeah, Chet's Christian Hunters America, they're great guys. Yeah. So, but uh, yep, that's that's it. I mean, we just have to all just get together and quit fighting among ourselves. I mean, that's that's a hard one to do. But yeah, um, if a guy shoots a spike, it's his deer to take. Um, the way I look at it, if he shoots a young spike, then he didn't shoot a three and a half year old four point that might live to be you know five years old and have better genetics and grow bigger antlers and. You know, the bottom line is we're looking for age class in these deer, uh, mm-hmm. and we can't do that with opportunity. Um, but you know, if, if somebody shoots a deer, be happy for them. Yeah, you know, I don't care what they are. Uh, just belittling uh, hunters on Facebook and whatnot is just getting to the point where it's almost embarrassing. Uh, you know, oh, you shot a spike. Who cares? Nobody ever says anything about shooting a spike bull elk, do they? But boy, if you shoot a spike mule deer, everybody's on your case. Oh, but, that's not true. That is uh, not true at all. So, <laughs> hey, this is. A few years back, my wife was pregnant with my son, yeah. and she drew it with an elk tag, and it was in seven, which was a super tough elk unit. Very tough. Yeah. Uh, especially for a late season rifle tag. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, we had got, I actually got her on a couple of really good bulls, but I mean, that's a whole different story. I want to get into it. We got, <laughs> that's about hunter act ethics that uh, I'm not going to bring up. But anyway, so, you know, it was like day three or four, you know, she was getting tired. Like I said, she was pregnant and we seen a spike and she shot it and I was, it was her first elk ever. And, uh, you know, I posted that picture up and there was like two or three like negative comments. And it was one guy's like, poor thing, or not poor thing. That thing still has its, uh, has milk on its lips from its mom and that, like i'm like bro it's her first elk she's yeah. six months pregnant you know <laughs> give her yeah. a freaking break you know be happy uh, for her yeah. there's always somebody yeah always somebody that makes them those people there i just don't even i don't even i act like i don't see it just keep them walking because yeah. i just they just want to say something to rattle your cage. Oh, There's a few of them out there like doing that. But believe me, if anybody knows just, about that, it's me. <laughs> There's a bunch of. I, the I, I have is, my own. I have my own. Uh, my own fan club of of haters that like to break <laughs> freaking balls all the time. Well, uh, but you can't make everybody happy all the time, John. It's just not worth it. So I don't, I don't even know. care, man. I I stop. Me, me neither. I used to. It used to get me so like worked up. Yeah. because i want everybody to like me i guess i don't know but uh, but i just yeah. i just uh, light switch went off at one time and actually i know the situation and i know the guy that 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 caused it and he's still actually a thorn in my side but yeah. uh, uh whatever always haters man yep <laughs> if you're not doing something right you're not doing something right if you don't have haters right <laughs> that's, that's exactly right yes yeah, exactly right. and don't worry about it that's yeah. it. you just got to keep doing what you're doing and keep the faith and your everything will work out in the long run so yeah for sure we had a we had a guy the other day on facebook that uh talking about the youth hunters and he gets on he said i think there should be less hunters and i said i said there should be less 
uh, selfish hunters. Yeah. And he goes, well, I disagree. And blah, blah, blah. I say, you can disagree all you want if you're right. But the bottom line is, if we don't keep these kids involved in hunting, yeah. we won't have anything as time goes on. It's and checks so, and balances, man. And it's yeah, all, it is, yeah. you know, you got to have, it's just like the actual wildlife management itself. You, everything has to have a yin and a yang. Well, you know, yeah. Give and take. So, you the, want the you want to tool. enjoy something? You got it. You got to be able to to give up some things, you know. Uh, yeah, if you love it enough, you want to show somebody else how to do it. That's just how it works. But you know, the, the bottom line is that hunters are the number one tool that the Arizona Game and Fish uses to manage their wildlife. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So if, if from the, you know, and 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 people saying the department kind of puts out a false narrative about uh, we're losing hunters. Um, well, maybe in maybe in numbers but as percentages grow there's way way more hunters in this state than there ever has been in the past so mm-hmm. you can't really say we're, we're losing hunters yearly and then say well we just had six hundred thousand more people apply for elk or deer right because it doesn't make sense so you got to stop looking at the numbers and just start looking at percentages and, you know seven hundred thousand and fifty percent of those hunters were in, and back in 1960s whatever it was now we have 7 million people in Arizona and we have 10% hunters in this state. And guess what? You're way, way more hunters here with 10% hunters than 7 million than you were at 50% hunters at 700,000. So, you know, I, I talk to the department all the time because I deal with you know, hunter, the, the hog thing, which is heritage stuff. And I tell them, I say, yeah, we might be losing some hunters, but we're sure not losing numbers in hunters, you know, percentage wise, yes, maybe. But, so, like you said, checks and balances, and I don't know. It's just some people are just selfish as all hell. I mean, they somebody was in my somebody was in my spot. It's not your spot. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else's spot before your spot. You know. So, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of annoying that some people are so selfish with, with what we love to do. But let them be selfish, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyways, man. Yeah. All so, right. Well, I appreciate you letting me talk to you today, and um, if we can get together, maybe you can come up to that project on the 25th and hang out with us for a day or two. Yeah, if I can make it work, I will. Yes, sir. That'd be good. All right, buddy. Thanks. You're welcome. I'll talk to you later, John. Hey, have a good day, okay? You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.